Good morning and welcome. I raise a hallelujah this morning, but Jesus is good. Amen. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of
Help me out, Jesus. Lift your head, lift your eyes, and look to the sun. In the test, in the trial, His grace is enough. His grace is enough. And oh, my soul, remember who you're singing to. Take heart, hold on. Remember who you're singing to. Come on.
word is true, amen? Hey, we're so glad you're here this morning, church. Isn't it amazing to be able to gather with a group of people declaring the name of Jesus? Well, let me tell you, I don't know if some of you have ever thought this, but just thought in your mind, oh my gosh, I just gotta get through this. As this morning, as we were preparing, actually even before I got here, things have just been crazy. So I thought, I wonder if we should cut some songs, because our ears, these things, these cool things right here, allow us to hear a certain mix and that we can mix ourselves. Because if we pull them out, there's actually a delay in the house, which is where you're sitting. But the ears are not working. So we can hear diddly squat. But you know what? So this morning, I'm thinking, all right, what song can we cut? What can we do to make a shorter set? Maybe we do change all the songs and just do something to get on and get off, just to get through it. And the Holy Spirit really convicted me this morning and I thought, my gosh, I just really wanna get through an opportunity with musical worship to our King, to our Lord, So I thought, you know what? What if we continue to go on and make sure that Jesus' name is praised, regardless of how it sounds in our ears? And then I thought, I wonder how many times that we're just praying, God, I hope you just help us get through this. God, I hope you just help me get through this. I hope you get me through this. And you see, what we miss is the amazing journey that God has for us in living each moment, remembering his presence. It's so easy to go, I just got to get through this, get to the other side. But what we miss out when we have our eyes so stuck on getting to that other side all the things in between that God is working and moving. So I just want to encourage you this morning, church. Maybe right now you're at a place in your life where you're thinking, I just hope to get through this. You don't know what's going on, but I hope just to get through this. Can I pray for you? God, I just want to lift up the name of Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, for anybody in this room that is uttering those words right now, I just gotta get through this. Lord, that you would reveal yourself. God, that you would meet them there. God, that your presence would be known, that your peace that surpasses all understanding would be present, that the hope that only you can provide would be evident, Lord, that your mercies would be new every morning. And Lord, that we would cling to you 
as we walk whatever journey is before us. Knowing that your Holy Spirit is a comforter and walks alongside us. So Lord, I just pray in the powerful name of Jesus, whatever you have in store, especially when it's rough or when it's heavy, God, you're doing some mighty powerful things. We love you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.
song talks about waiting on the Lord and it's not that we're not we don't uh, already see him moving here today but in our impatience that we would just wait on what it is that only he can do in our lives I just want to encourage you to do that as much as we sing this song
Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camriel Community Church. If you are here today and you're breathing, please give a round of applause to the band, to all those people in the back of the booth, the front. I tell you what, after everything they've been through, the demon in the technology, um, man, there's nothing like a little bit of a disruption to remind you what worship is really all about. Uh, you know, if, if, if let's say there was like a, a, a citywide power outage, we'd still find a way to worship God. We'd still get the guitar out and we'd, you know, all this is a luxury. I mean, I'm glad we have the luxury. Um, but, you know, what's important is that we worship the ever-living God, the almighty God, and that we do so. Uh, and I just was really touched by Kelly's talk about sometimes we just try to get through things that we're supposed to be adoring the Lord. And so, um, what a great reminder. Thank you guys. Uh, thank you all the guys in the back, in the front, in the back. The people who run the computer. I have it on good authority. There's a really beautiful lady running the computer today, really beautiful, really, 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 really beautiful. Um, so thank her on your way out today. <laughs> Love you, honey. Um, anyway, uh, a couple of things before we get started. Number one, it is Easter season, and so we have these cards for you. Hopefully you saw one uh, on your chair or on the floor next to your chair when you knocked it over. Uh, but anyway, on the way out, you can grab a couple of these, and they say people are much more likely to accept your invitation to church during the Easter season. So we encourage you to grab a bunch of these, invite your friends, and, and uh, let's make uh, Easter a wonderful experience together as we celebrate the resurrected Lord uh, on Easter Sunday, coming up April 9th, believe it or not. So it's coming up soon. Uh, secondly, Cater Cop, uh, appreciation at the police station. Uh, this week I had a opportunity to have lunch with the uh, Camero Police Chief uh, this weekend, or this week, and uh, great, great man. It was wonderful to meet with him, trying to share our heart that, hey, we just want to make sure that, that not on our watch are any police officers in our community going to have a low morale. Uh, you know, we, it's not necessarily an issue of need, we understand that, but we want them to know that we appreciate them for everything they go through and trying to protect and serve in our streets, yeah. And so we're, um, so hopefully those claps turn into going to Wood Ranch and buying gift cards. We're gonna parlay all those gift cards together, and then we are going to um, uh, uh, cater their briefings. Uh, the reason we're doing Wood Ranch, as I mentioned last week, if we do Taco Bell, they won't be that excited or feel that appreciated. But if we do tri-tip from Wood Ranch, they're like, wow, these people really appreciate us. And that's what we're going for. And so grab those gift cards, bring them to them. We'll parlay those. If we can cater one briefing, we'll do it. If we can cater five briefings, we'll do it. If you don't have a place right now in your budget to be able to give to that, understand. But please go to the table and sign up as a volunteer. We need people to come represent us, be the face of our church to these offices host them, serve them their meal during those briefings as well. So there's a way for you to be involved, whether you have the finances or not, please sign up on that list and we will email you when we, in the future, set this up with the city to go and cater their briefings. They have told us, uh, the police chief said, we'll email all of them, we'll let them know that it's Wood Ranch and pretty sure they won't miss it. Now they can't miss a briefing, but sometimes they eat dinner before they come to the briefing. But on our briefings, they're not gonna eat dinner. They're going to eat tri-tip from Wood Ranch. So uh, that is there. Now I think, I know, some people are going, oh shoot, I was going to get a gift card and I was there this week and I ate lunch and I forgot to get the gift card. That's okay because your pastor bought 20 gift cards, $20 each. They're sitting there at the table. Go there, give them 20 bucks. They'll give you a card. Give the card right back to them and make sure I don't go broke. All right, so if you forgot to get a gift card, we have them for you at the table. I don't want to go broke. You don't want me to go broke. And so go make sure you uh, liquidate all those cards uh, so that we can make sure we take care of these officers well. Can you do that? 
Awesome. All right, now we're going to dive in. We've been in a series in 1 Samuel, and I've been having a really good time with it, a lot better time with it than I thought I was going to have. Not that I thought it was going to be bad, but it's just been a lot better than I could even imagine. And if you will pay attention today, I believe God has something for you that will really bring you to your next level and your next step in your faith with the Lord. And so hopefully you'll pay attention with me and we'll go along and do this together. But before we get to all that, let me start off by saying this. The year is 1986, and the album is called Control. You see, the child actress, Janet Jackson, has tried and failed a couple times to break into the music industry. Now, you can imagine how hard that is when your brothers are the Jackson Five and taking over the world. But she's gone two albums and nothing much to show for it, but something's gonna be different this time because this time she's in control. From her perspective, whether it's her father holding her back as her agent from her true potential, or from her perspective, whether it's an errant marriage to a young husband of her youth, this is going to be different now because now she's been alleviated from those things and she's in control of her life. She was known at the time for wearing an earring that was a huge key that would go down from her earlobe all the way down to her shoulder, no, undoubtedly symbolizing that she now has the keys to her own life. She was released from whatever was holding her back, and this album would be different. She's in control. And it was. Five singles hit the top five on the album on the Billboard's Top 100 charts, she was the first female to ever do such a feat to have five singles reach the top 100 chart. She set a record for the longest continuous charting singles on the top 100. She went 65 straight weeks with one of her singles, one of her top five singles, in the top 100 for the 65 consecutive weeks in a row. That's a record. Nobody had done that before. She had sold over 10 million copies worldwide. Now, you gotta be honest right now. Raise your hand if you're one of those 10 million people. Yep, one, two, thank you. This first service are liars. You guys tell the truth. I listened to the song this week just to remember it, and it's a dope song. It's a really, really good song. I really enjoyed the song. Lyrically, the song Control was filled with notions of self-fulfillment, self-actualization. Some lines go this way. When I was 17, I did what people told me. I did what my father said. I let my mother mold me. Uh, later on in the song, I got my own mind. I want to make my own decisions. I want to be in control of my life. I want to make my own decisions. When it comes to my own life, I want to be the one in control. I'm in control. I get what I want. I'm in control. It's actually a good song. It's not bad. If you might go home today and listen to it because you're fond of old memories of the 80s. Many of you might remember it because you bought the album yourself or bought the single yourself or you remember other singles on the album as well. And the only thing that's problematic is if we take these principles that are in this song and we apply them to how we relate to God. That would be the only problematic thing. If you took some of these lines and applied it to how I relate myself to God, got my own mind, I wanna make my own decisions, I wanna be in control of my life, I want to make my own decisions when it comes to my own life. I want to be the one in control. I am in control. I get what I want. If you apply that to your relationship with God and your spiritual journey with God, you might find yourself in a tug-of-war match with God. And who do you think wins that? See, today we're going to look at what happens when we try to wrestle control away from God. 
Who wins in a tug of war with God? And how definitive is that victory? What does God do with the idols that help us make us feel like we're in control? And how all-encompassing is his power? Who's in charge? And how in charge is he? For that, we're going to be in your Bibles, First uh, Samuel chapter 5. Love for you. Open your bound Bible there. If you have a phone, get there. If you're online, open another window and get there as well. We'll be looking at the entirety of chapter 5 day, 12 verses, verses 1 through 12, looking at the idea of control. And the overarching question today is how or what happens when we find ourselves in a tug of war with the Almighty God? What happens when we find ourselves in a tug of war with the Almighty God? The first thing we're going to find out is that we learn that God's sovereignty topples over all of our competing idols. We learn that God's sovereignty topples over all of our competing idols. God's sovereignty, his control, his in-chargeness, his power, his reign, his authority topples over all of our competing idols. What happens when we find ourselves in a tug-of-war match with the Almighty God? Well, we find out that God wins. He topples over all of our competing idols. Let's go to uh, verse 1 to verse 8 together. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. It says this. Read along. Uh, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought, from, uh, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, and then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and so they took Dagon and put him back in his place. That is um, biblical comedy. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. If you think about it, their God, who's supposed to be all-powerful, had to be put back in his spot. You'll get it in a couple hours. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen his face downward again on the ground and before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were, cut, were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. And this is why the priests of Dagon and all those who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. I would love for you to circle, highlight, underline that word heavy. We'll come back to that later. And he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territories. And when the men of Ashdod saw how the things were, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us for his hand is hard, circle, underline that, hi highlight that, against us and against Dagon, our God. And so they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines, and they said, what shall we do with the ark of, uh, of God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of God of Israel there. We'll stop there. What happens when we find ourselves in a tug of war with the Almighty God? First, we learn that God's sovereignty topples over all of our competing idols. God's sovereignty topples over all of our competing idols. What do I mean by God's sovereignty? Again, this is His in chargeness, this is His controlness, this is His authority, this is His power. He's the one who has the reins. He directs everything. He's in charge of everything. And so God's sovereignty topples over all of our competing idols. That's what we see in the story. 
Uh, if you remember uh, last week, what happened is there is a big battle between Israel and the Philistine army. And in ancient war motifs, when, you, when your people won victory over another people, you didn't only win that physical battle, your God also won victory over their God. Your God imprisoned their God. Your God killed their God. Your God is better than their God. This is really important ancient motif, uh, war motifs. And so defeated idols of slain deity were often shown off as trophies in ancient times. And so uh, whatever represented your God, we're gonna take it as a trophy and show everybody, look at this. Our God defeated their God. You remember, the, remember how the God of Israel defeated the, the, the Pharaoh and his armies? Well, look, our God defeated him. We're bigger, we're better, we're badder. Defeated idols of the slain deities were often shown off as trophies in ancient times as spoils of war and even stored in the temple treasury. So the ark was taken from Shiloh to Ashdod, which is about 50 miles south. And there they laid uh, the ark at the feet of their god, Dagon, who's closely related to the god of Baal. Actually, the son of Dagog, Dagon, is Baal. I'm sure you've heard of Baal before and maybe some scriptural reading of the past, a very prominent god of the Old Testament. And in so doing, it represented the god of Dagon, defeated the god of Israel in battle, again, as it relates to the ancient war motif. So... The God of Israel is now a prisoner of war, defeated prisoner of Dagon, literally taken into exile. Dead, gone, inferior, or so we thought. He's placed in a position of servitude before his master God, Dagon. So I'm gonna take the ark of God representing his glory, representing his presence, I'm gonna place it underneath the master God of Dagon because he defeated him in war. And so you're going to be in a position of servitude, in a position of submission, submission of worship to another God. Now, the optics of this begin to change in verse three. The optics of subordination and power seem to get flipped. And I want you to see if you can see it with me if we go back to verse three. And when the people of Ashdod rose early in the next morning, by the way, this is about the time that you would uh, uh, receive uh, or God would receive a sacrifice to him. Ironically enough, in that same period of time, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord in a prostrate position. And so they took Dagon and they put him back in his place, which is very comical. But when they rose the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen his face downward again on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both of his hands were, were lying cut off from the threshold, on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. We'll stop there. The optics of subordination and power seem to be flipped. The way this story is supposed to go is the God of Israel went up against God of Dagon. God of Dagon wins. And so God of Israel is captured dead, inferior. And now at every, uh, in, the, in the very temple place where, where, where the God is supposed to be subordinate, the other one is subordinate. The subordinate deity is taking the victor's position. First we see that the God of Dagon, the false God of Dagon, lying prostrate before the ark, literally down, face down in a posture of worship and submission to the ark. 
Of course, there's the additional irony that human beings have to set up the God of Dagon back to his spot. Uh, Human beings who are relying on the God of Dagon to set them up with a great life have to come in and set up the God of Dagon so he can sit in his appropriate spot in the temple. Second day, the second time, as just in case you're wondering if it was an anomaly and it just fell over by accident, not only was the God of Dagon knocked over, but this time his heads and his hands are chopped off. And the priests from the south came in, they saw it and they say, Dagon. It's not mine, it's not original to me. I, I can't claim, and you guys didn't like it anyway, so it's, it's not a big deal. He was completely dismembered and scattered on the threshold, which is largely significant, not to us, but to them it would be largely significant. And I'll tell you why. Because the way you knew how many, there, how many casualties there were of the war would be to count the number of heads you had. The way you'd know how many casualties of war is count the number of hands you chopped off, divide it by two, and you know how many people died. And so when they come up with these numbers, like this many thousand people died, they're counting heads and they're counting hands. And here you have the God of Dagon whose head's chopped off and his hands are chopped off. You know what that's symbolizing to everybody? He's dead. So... Very, very congruent and very, very significant act. Our God has died at the hands of the ark of God, representing his glory, representing his sovereignty, representing his power, his authority. Not only was the God of Dagon dead and subordinate to Yahweh, but the God of Israel was truly victorious in the battle between the two gods. That's what was significant because they thought they had won. But obviously something happened. And then he did it in their temple. Talk about not having home court advantage. Takes him out in his own home and resting place. The the action is so significant to them that they literally go out of their way to say no one will ever step foot on the threshold again out of respect for the God of Dagog. Now, thresholds were already kind of superstitious in ancient times, but now you have kind of like a double whammy. Not only do we already not like, you know, stepping over thresholds where our God was placed and things of that nature, but now because his arms are chopped off and his head's chopped off, we're super superstitious about this and nobody ever stepped foot in that threshold again. And finally, you have this kind of like additional irony of the victors of war receiving havoc rather than wreaking havoc themselves. I want to go back to verse 6 and read again. And I asked you to highlight and underline some things there. It says, the hand of the Lord was heavy. And I said, highlight that, underline that, circle that against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both in Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard, again, circle that, underline, highlight that, against us and against Dagon our God. And so they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines, and they said, what should we do with the ark of of God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. And so they brought the ark of God of Israel there. It says the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. 
What's interesting about that word usage is it has the same root word as the word glory. Now this is pretty significant if you were here last week. And you remember that Eli's daughter-in-law named her child Ichabod, which was basically saying the glory of God had departed. The glory of God was gone. And here we see in chapter five, oh, I wasn't gone. I'm just dealing with something else right now. Uh, I'm I'm heavy against the Philistines. I was heavy against you guys last week, Israel, because of some things that you were doing, and now I'm heavy against the Philistines this week because of some things they're doing. I wasn't gonna allow this whole idea that the God of Israel, the true God of the world, died and lost and was a prisoner and was in exile to a false, fake, small g God. I wasn't gonna allow that to be the storyline, and so now I'm heavy against them. So clearly the glory of God had not departed, it was just doing other things. The sovereignty of God doesn't leave God when the ark is in enemy hands. And then we see that the victors of war receive havoc rather than wreaking havoc. Some kind of plague comes over them involving um, rats and mice and tumors. Some of you are like, you know, you had me at rats and mice. You didn't have to do the tumors. I already would have, I would have submitted to the rats and mice. I get it. These guys got rats and mice and tumors. Most commentators believe it to be some kind of uh, a version of the bubonic plague, a uh, bubonic plague-like disease that was unleashed by God on the Philistines where rat, rats and, and, and mice were involved as carriers of the disease. I hate to get super graphic here, but literally the idea is swellings or growths or boils in the rectal region of the body leading many to believe that it's some kind of a hemorrhoid-like condition that was killing them off, uh, which seems to kind of fall in line with a bubonic kind of a plague. Well, what do you do? How do you respond? Our God's falling face down in a prostrate form to their God. The next day, we didn't get the message. He's prostrate again, this time with his head cut off, his hand cut off, symbolizing that he's dead in comparison to the God of Israel, What do we do? I know, let's send the ark of God to Gath, which was about 12 miles southeast of Israel, which means it was heading closer to home. You see, temporal optics may seem to indicate that an idol is superior to God, but in the end, God's sovereignty remains supreme. Hear that? Temporal optics may seem to indicate that an idol is superior to God. But in the end, God's sovereignty always reigns supreme. What happens when we find ourselves in a tug of war with the Almighty God? Well, number one, we we learn that God's sovereignty topples over all of our competing idols. And number two now, we learn that God's sovereignty extends to all locations. He's not limited to one location where he's sovereign and in control and in authority and, 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 and in charge, his in-chargeness, his in-controlness isn't limited to where he's at. It's everywhere. It reminds me of Jonah in the Bible who God says, you're gonna go this way and do what I want you to do. He goes, oh, really? No, I don't wanna do that. I'm gonna go this way. And God goes, hey, I'm God. I'm still in charge over there too. That's how it works. Let's go back to verse nine and read through verse 12 together. But after they brought it around and the hand of the Lord was against the city causing a very great 
uh, panic, and he afflicted the men of that city, both young and old, and so the tumors broke out on them as well. And so they sent the ark of God to Ekron. Let's go to the third city. Uh, but as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out. They had brought, brought around to us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. And so therefore they gathered all the lords and the Philistines and said, send away the ark of God, uh, God of Israel and let it return to its own place. This isn't working. Let's, let's change our strategy. Then it might not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. And the hand of God was very, what? Heavy there. There goes that same root word for glory. And the men who did not die were struck with tumors and the, city, and, the, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. We'll stop there. What happens when we find ourselves in a tug of war with the almighty God? Well, we learn that God's sovereignty, his sovereign hand extends to all location. Uh, they employ what I call the, bass, the pass the buck strategy. Um, listen, it's not working out in Ashdod, so let's send the Ark of the Covenant to uh, Gath, and it's not working out in Gath, so let's send it to Ekron. <laughs> they just pass the buck, same results, everywhere it goes. Uh, uh, the same condition that befell the Ashdodites, befell the Gathites, and now is uh, uh, befailing the Akronites. Well, it didn't work in Ashdod, it didn't work in Gath, what do we do? Let's send it to Akron. And the people of Akron are like, we've seen this broken record. We've heard this before. We're not going to play this game. Let's figure something else out. Now, there's something going on here that's a great irony that has to be mentioned because this passage is full of irony, but this one specifically is really big. You see, in the Philistine um, um, region or, or the region that would encompass all the Philistines, there are five sub-regions, you can call them, sub-areas with five different kings. And three of the five areas are listed here in this text. Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron. And typically what would happen when you had victory over another army that represented another god, you would take the spoils of victory, the, 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 the religious items, the ritualistic items, and you would parade them around your entire region. As if to say, hey, look, our god the God of Dagon, beat the God of Israel. And look, we have the artifacts to prove it. Look, everybody, this is the ark. It's supposed to be the thing that we're symbolically carries the very uh, glory of God, the power of God, the authority of God. And our God beat him. And so they would take the items and they would parade them around their territory and everybody would acknowledge that their God is greater. And in the irony of ironies, this victory tour for the God of Dagon turns into a victory tour for the God of Israel. Because each city he goes to, he inflicts tumors all over their unmentionable regions to where they say, this is not good, send him to another city. Let him go around to the next city. I mean, let's parade it, keep the parade going. So it goes to the next city, and then more tumors and more unmentionable regions. And it's like, well, let's send it to another city. And now three of the five main cities of the Philistine areas are submitting that their God is not as good, as high, as sovereign, as powerful, as glorious as the God of Israel. It becomes a victory tour 
for the captured God of Israel. In the midst of rampant paganism, This is, I think, there's, there's a nice little analogy here that we can make. Especially for a lot of our Christians, brothers and sisters who go, man, the, 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 you know, the, the bottom is falling out of this world. I mean, we're watching a culture that's not only post-Christian, it's like anti-Christian. It's moving so fast and anti its own roots. And there's concern because of the secularism that's taking over, the secular humanism, different worldviews that are out there, and, and, and it seems like God's being left behind, and look what's happening to our society, and the concern and the worry. And yet here in this story, we see that in the midst of rampant paganism, God still reigns. God's still glorified. God is still powerful. God's still in authority. He's not worried, and neither should we be. Have you read the end of the book? We seem, to, we seem to turn out okay, and our God seems to win. In the midst of rampant paganism, like today, God is still reigning. Well, the Philistine solution to this problem is, well, no matter what we do, the God of Israel is there. Tumors come aplenty. His sovereignty isn't limited to a location. His incontrolness, his in-chargeness, his, his, his ability, his authority, his strength, his glory isn't limited to wherever you send him. He's still doing the same thing. And so they come up with a plan. Let's send him back. We understand we won the battle and everything. And we're supposed to parade your you know, religious items around and act like we're bigger and better. But we just think you should have it back. You can have it back. And here we see the beautiful theme that ties both last week's narrative with this week's narrative. And that is this. That no matter what you do, you can't escape the fact that God is in control. Not you. No matter what you do, you can't escape the fact that God is in control. And by virtue of the fact that he's in control, that means you are not in control. Israel, you're not in control. Philistines, you're not in control. Israel, you thought you could strong arm God and, and, and twist his arm and make him act on your behalf. And, and you know what? There's no way our God will let himself lose to a fake God. And so let's bring the ark out. We'll bring it into battle and he'll have to rescue us and we'll force his hand. He'll be like a rabbit's foot or a genie in the bottle or, or a good luck charm. And God goes, oh, no, no, I can still be sovereign after I'm captured. I can allow myself to be captured by these fools and yet still be sovereignly in control of the whole narrative. And so Israel, you're not in control. You're not in charge. I am. And then Philistines, you think just because that I, that I you know, uh, let you lose, or let, 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 let the Israelites lose in this and I allowed myself to be captured. You think you're in control? You think I'm gonna allow you to have this storyline where your God, the fake God, beats the real God of the universe? You gotta be out of your mind. You're not in control either. No matter what you do, you can't escape the fact that God is in control, not you. Israel, shock. God cannot be a pawn in your chess game. Philistines, shocker. You thought you had checkmate. The truth is you ran out of chess pieces. No matter what you do, you can't escape the fact that God's in control, not you. Just because you control and have possession of the chess, the ark, doesn't mean that you are in control of the God of Israel. Why is that the case? Because he is sovereign and you are not. 
cannot, or God cannot be taken and used for your own prerogatives. That would make you God and him subordinate to you. This God requires appropriately that we would place him on his seat and subordinate ourselves to him. No matter what you do, you can't escape the fact that God is in control, which means you are not. You know, years ago, uh, my family would uh, go to this theme park. The name of the theme park was Marine World Africa USA. Has anybody ever heard of that? Wow, there's a lot of people. Okay, those of you who heard it, have you ever been there? Marine, wow, crazy. All right, that's more than, the, more than the first service, which I always say I love you guys more than the first service. Don't ask them what I say, but for you guys, I'm just saying, you guys are you know, godlier the whole bit. Um, I'm just joking. You're not godly because you're in the second hour. Anyway, so we'd go to Marine World Africa USA, which was kind of like a glorified zoo and, and a little bit more of a miniature uh, sea world. It was a little different than sea world because they would do Africa as well. So they have zebras and, and, and uh, what are those tall guys, uh, giraffes and, and, and uh, tigers and lions and elephants, and, but they still had di- uh, dolphins and killer whales. I love dolphins and I love killer whales. They're like my favorite favorite animal. And uh, later on, they added roller coasters and renamed it Discovery Kingdom. Now it's part of the Six Flag, one of the Six Flag parks. I thought that ruined it. I I really just thought it was better as an animal park. I like roller coasters, but not at my animal park. I like my animal park to be different from my roller coaster park. Just me. Anyway, so Audrey's a little girl, and I'm like, well, we got to make sure that Audrey gets to pet a dolphin, uh, uh, you know, because that will change her life. And so obviously she'll remember it for the rest of her life. And so we go to Discovery Kingdom, as it's now called, and, and we go there, and uh, you, for an extra, you know, so much money, you can get a picture, you can touch a dolphin, you can pet a dolphin, you can buy the fish and feed the dolphin. So I'm thinking Audrey has to has, have this experience. And, you know, she's little. I'm thinking, you know, it's just, you know, you just, you just pet the dolphin, you know, and I'll be there to pet the dolphin with you, you know, twofer, you know, type of thing. So was it really about me or was it more about her? I don't know. But I remember the girl before us, like she went up to the dolphin and kissed the dolphin. And I was like, well, Audrey, you don't have to feel like you have to kiss the dolphin. They do have teeth. You don't have to feel like you have to kiss the dolphin if you don't want to. Don't feel the pressure just because the other little girl did it in front of you. She's a little older than you. Maybe in a couple of years you want to do that. But, you know, well, she runs up to the dolphin and kisses it. You want to see? Look, I'll show you little Audrey kissing the dolphin. Uh, look at it. Yeah, she's, she ran right up to it and kissed the dolphin. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is the greatest, best day ever. I mean, the day that I touched the dolphin, a dolphin for the first time like changed my life. I, it's, I love. It was between being a pastor and a dolphin trainer. Can you imagine me? You know? Thank goodness I became a pastor. And I don't know who enjoyed this more. Was it Audrey who enjoyed it more or, or did I enjoy it more? You don't believe me? Look, look at the next picture. Uh, look at her. She's like, ah, this is okay. And then look at uh, me without a goatee uh, 15 years ago. Uh, you know, I'm like, Joyce, oh my gosh, my daughter's touching a dolphin. My daughter could stay, care less about dolphins. She likes birds. Um, I hate birds. But anyway, so she got the experience of going down. But when I was 13 years old, before it became Discovery Kingdom, it was still Marine World Africa, USA. They had started a new exhibit there. And the exhibit was that you could, uh, you could uh, tug of war a elephant. They literally got this huge rope and they, they put it around the neck or the shoulders of the elephant and they made it so it was secure and, and they you know, put us like 100 feet behind the elephant so if he goes crazy, we could run away and be safe, right? And then it was you and 50 of your friends. If you paid 10 extra dollars, you could, you could, you know, you could pull and you could, you could uh, tug a war an elephant. 
And we're sitting there, I'll never forget, and they, you know, we're going we're to honk the horn, and then, and then you start pulling, and, and, they, and they, they honk the horn, and we all start pulling hard, and we're in sand, but the elephant's in sand too, and so we're both having the same conditions, and we're thinking, this is fair. And so there's 50 of us, and we're pulling all, our, all we got, and, and, and then finally, uh, the, you know, we, we, we start, seem to be making some headway, and our team starts shouting and screaming because we moved back, and we made the elephant move backwards like a step. And then it boomed back like another step. We're like, we can do this. It's actually possible. Come on, one, two, three, pull. One, two, three, pull. But then as soon as we went backwards, it's almost like the elephant took notice and started going forward. And we all started sliding and slipping, and this elephant starts going. And then smart little 13-year-old David Hurtado looks up and goes, I'm going to look at the trainer. And as I'm watching the trainer, I notice that the trainer's giving the elephant signals. And whenever the elephant obeys the signals, like the elephant gets like a watermelon. Right, and so when the trainer says go backwards, the elephant goes, oh, I'll go backwards and eat myself a watermelon. And then the trainer says go forward, I'll go forward and I'll eat myself a watermelon. And I'm thinking to myself, so clear this is not a tug of war. This is so clearly not a tug of war. The elephant is doing whatever the trainer wants and the trainer is just allowing us to feel like we're winning because he wants us to feel good about how stupid it was for us to spend $10 to go and do a tug of war with an elephant that can't possibly win. was not wasn't a real tug of war. And believe it or not, this is a great picture as it relates to God and control. He is the sovereign one. He's in control. And there's no real battle at all. Like he might in his graciousness move backward a little bit to make us feel like we're in control. But the truth is, is he's sovereignly in control No matter what you do, you can't escape the fact that God is in control, not you. The more we study the word of God, the more we understand the nature of God, the bigger and bigger and bigger he becomes, and the smaller and smaller and smaller we become. And that's appropriate. You could spend the rest of your life, every day of your life, if you could... Focus in on your mind and your heart together and focus in on the idea that maybe God would get one inch bigger today. And if you spent your whole life allowing God to get bigger and bigger and bigger by one inch a day, at the end of your life, you will have embarked on a worthy cause and yet your impression of him then would still pale in comparison to who he actually is. That's why I love the elephant illustration. There's just no way we're gonna beat that thing. You could add another 100 people. We were not gonna beat that elephant. He was just gonna be eating watermelons all day long. It was no competition. No matter what you do, you can't escape the fact that God is in control, not you. That was the lesson to Israel, and that's the lesson to the Philistines. Will you fall under the sovereignty of God? Will you allow him to reign? What ways have you been attempting to steal the reins of control away from God? You do realize it's not going to work, right? God in his grace and mercy and compassion will sometimes step backwards. But you do realize he's going to win that tug of war, right? He's the almighty God. What ways do you need to set your idol of control aside 
so that God can be God and you can be subservient to him, which is the appropriate response to God. Guess what I'm asking? Is there anybody else in the room like me who struggles with trying to take the reins of control in life? here today can I pray for you because we want to set him in his right place so we don't end up on the ground with our hands and our heads chopped off he doesn't compete for his glory he doesn't compete for his control his in chargeness he just is he's jealous for it Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Let me pray. Father, I acknowledge before you right now, I'm real good at being in control. I'm real good at it. I feel peace when I'm in control. I feel in control when I'm in control. When, I'm at the, in, when I have the reins, I feel most confident. I feel most assured. Sometimes I feel most at peace. That's not what you called me to. You've called me to hand the reins over to you. Let you be the one who's in charge. Let you be the one who's in control. Let you be the one who has all the glory. Let you be the one who has all the authority. And place myself in a position like the God of Dagon. Prostrate before you. true, genuine, authentic worship of the Almighty God. Father, I don't know how people came in today and what things they're grabbing at control in their own lives, but I pray that you'd reveal it to them in their hearts. That they, like me, would begin to open our hands and dropping it at your feet. Allowing you to pick up the reins and be in charge. Not feeling like we're grabbing at you in competition. in Jesus' name. Amen. In light of talking about God's sovereignty today, I do need to uh, bring up something um, um, uh, of a little bit of a bittersweet nature. Uh, God is sovereign over all things, even in our church as well. And I need to let you know that Pastor Zach Lawler has accepted the role of lead pastor at a church in uh, Lake Havasu, Arizona. And so he will be going there starting, uh, it's going to be fast, guys, April, uh, the first, um, his first Sunday there will be Easter, and he will serve as our lead pastor there. Now, I have to tell you, there's nothing, there's no ill feelings, there's no wrong feelings. I'm the one who actually got him the opportunity within our family of churches, uh, Converge, it's a converged church out in Lake Havasu. We've been wanting our church to be kind of a pastor factory uh, for the kingdom of God. And so I hope to do it 10 times over. That's how much I don't feel bad about this situation. It's a great situation. Uh, we've spent a lot of time and emphasis on Zach developing him, and now God's got him on another track where he's gonna continue for the kingdom of God to preach the gospel 
and uh, share with that community. So we have a very short weeks to say goodbye. I would love for you to make sure you say goodbye to him, his wife, his children, be praying for them. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be placing hands on him as elders, and I believe our wives as well. And so we will do that together in a send-off, uh, in a way of saying that we bless this and we see this as a good, positive thing. And at the same time, we are gonna be making sure that you know that every little waking moment that we've had in the last month or so, we've been looking already to how we would replace Zach in the high school ministry. Our youth ministries will not suffer uh, during this season. Uh, Jacob Salas is gonna step up and, and do an interim both, and then we will find another person. Uh, we already have several conversations in the hopper about that. So if you know somebody, please let us know. But I just wanna let you know, in the realm of God's sovereignty, he's in control, this is a wonderful thing. We're sending Zach off and to the glory of God, he and his wife and his family are gonna do amazing things in Lake Havasu. So make sure you say goodbye to them, give them a hug, and, uh, and be here in the next couple of weeks as we celebrate them and say goodbye. With that, I'll turn it over to Kenny. Thank you, Pastor David. Uh, you know, uh, if, if you're a regular attender here, welcome. It's, it's always so good to have you guys here and to worship the Lord together. But I also want to say hi to our guests. If you're visiting today, whether you're in person or online, we're always happy to have guests here. And there may be some of you here who don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And you don't know that you can have a relationship with Jesus. And if that's the case, let me just say to you, maybe today is the day where God's drawing you and you just sense it's time to, to turn around from life. And you can start that relationship with him today um, simply by turning away from your sin, turning away from living for yourself and for the world, accepting his offer to forgive you, which was paid for through his death on the cross, and start to live for Christ and, and follow him. It's as simple as that, and then Christ will come and be in you, and you will be in him, um, and you can have that relationship with him. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you want more information about what that is, go to the welcome counter in the lobby on the left-hand side on your way out. And if you're joining us online, go to campcc.net and click on Next Steps uh, so we can answer any questions you have, pray for you, pray with you, what, um, give you a Bible if you don't have one. All right. Um, we're going to receive the offering now. This is how we worship God through tithes and offerings. There's three ways to participate. You can go to campcc.net, click give. Um, you can text the amount you'd like to donate to 84321, or we have an offering box in the lobby. People have been asking me if they can give to the Caterer Cop online, and the answer is yes, you can. When you're online in the drop-down box where it says general fund, you can pull that down and it says community impact. Just choose that, and it'll go towards our in initiative this month. Okay, the other thing I have to announce today, and this is a very exciting one, um, and I know many of you look forward to this all year long, and that is today we're voting on the general fund budget for the fiscal year. Yeah, I can sense the excitement. Um, and we're also voting for uh, uh, re-electing Mason Pollock as an elder, and then adding two new elders, Johnny Laubacher and Jeff Chisholm. So if you're a member of this church, I sent an email to you at 7 a.m. this morning, and in that email there's a link you can click um, to vote. Um, and if you're not good with email, then you can, or you don't have email or don't wanna do that, there's paper ballots at the welcome counter and you can utilize that as well. And uh, I have heard from someone that it went to their junk mail folder. So if you didn't get it, check that. All right, thank you so much, and before you go, Let's check out this video, what's coming up next. Hey, CAMCC, I'm Jacob Salas, the junior high pastor. I'm so glad you're here with us. 
If you're a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you at the welcome counter to thank you for checking us out. Starbucks gift cards for your first time, stylish mugs for your second time, and an all-you-can-eat dessert with our staff and elders for your third time visit. Mark your connection card if this is your first, second, or third time with us, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up at CamCC. Who will you ask to join you? The month of March, cater a cop. Appreciation at the police station. I'm so excited about our community impact initiative as we look to support law enforcement in Camarillo. For all the deets and how you can be a part of this great opportunity, check out our table after the gathering or go to camcc.net. Sunday, April 2nd, growth groups and classes begin. Sign up today on the patio for the marriage class, prayer boot camp, or growth group. It's a great way to get to know others at CAMCC and do life together, and it's just an eight-week commitment. April 3rd to 7th, Mexico missions trip. Middle school and high school students, come join us on our missions trip to Mexico. To sign up or for more info, talk with or email Zach at CAMCC.net. Fear is not my future, you are. Friday, April 7th, the Good Friday Experience stations, 6 through 7.30. Come anytime between 6 and 7.30 p.m. and stay as long or as short as you would like. An interactive, powerful time of reflection, silence, scripture, and many more elements as we remember Jesus. Show up anytime between 6 and 7.30. The experience can take 30 to 60 minutes and is all based on your own pace. Child care is available up to third grade. Sunday, April 9th. Easter gatherings, 9 and 1045 a.m. He is risen. This is a great opportunity to invite someone to join you this Easter. They're waiting to be asked. Who will you extend an invitation to? Sunday, April 16th, Pathway, 6 through 7.30 p.m. Get to know more about CAMCC and get tools to grow in your personal journey with the Lord. Just six weeks on Sunday nights. To sign up or for more info, email jimmoyer at camcc.net. May 26th to 29th, family camp. Save the date and join us for a weekend of camping together as a church at Lake Kachuma. For more info on any of these events, go to campcc.net. I'm Allie Smith, the women's ministry leader here at our church, and I'm so glad that you all were here. Uh, just some very exciting news. Uh, obviously, we've got so many things coming up with the Easter Sunday. you got to make sure to invite people. Good Friday, all those wonderful things. Uh, please make sure, though, that you don't forget today, if you're a guest here, to make sure you're going to the welcome counter. Get those new gifts that we have for you. Stay and have a little coffee and a little donut. Stay out of the rain. If you want to be cozy and all of that good things, uh, please also come next Sunday because I would love to see you. And come talk to me. If you've never met me before, I'd love to meet you as well. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank <laughs> you.